78. We've spent a couple of weeks in it. Tonight we will start in verse 42. Psalm 78. This is a psalm of Asaph. And you may remember that the first few verses, if we can call them such, are an introduction, a reminder, okay? Remember the things of Israel's past. That's summing up the first few verses. Remember the things of Israel's past. God's people should have remembered who God was, followed God, and taught the generations to come about the goodness of God. However, when you read through the Old Testament, you see quickly that God's people did not do that. That was the introduction. Okay, here's what's important. Here's what you need to learn from. And then Asaph proceeds to tell us some examples of Israel's past and how they were disobedient and how they got themselves into trouble repeatedly. And then he recalls the power of God, how God delivered them and freed them from their enemies and, and, and delivered them through the Red Sea. That's something that Asaph references a lot, the passing through the Red Sea. And we'll see it again, the reference in the last part of the passage we look at tonight. And so uh, we've seen how God delivered his people, how disobedient they were. And we kind of it's kind of this cycle in this psalm. It kind of goes back and forth uh, and kind of keeps hitting back on these events of Egypt when God's people were delivered. And that's what we will see tonight as we continue on. Uh, we closed last week, that last little few verses we looked at talked about as part of the cycle of God's people being disobedient, what's the cycle of God in this pattern? He is compassionate. Now, part of that cycle of God, too, is also anger and punishment. That's part of it, too, because of his people's disobedience. But, but ultimately, God is compassionate to the people. He says, all right, I'm going to be with you. I'm going I'm I'm to pour my blessing back out on you. There'd be times he'd hand them over to their enemies and allow them to go through tough times. But God is compassionate. But throughout this whole psalm, we see this cycle that we've seen throughout the whole Old Testament. And even as the psalm continues, we continue to see this, this, this cycle uh, kind of repeated to us to remind us about Israel's past so that we, the audience that was being written to, and us as well, do not uh, repeat those same cycles. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me, that I could preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you. I pray that you just help us to find encouragement uh, and strength in what we read tonight. God, maybe even a wake-up call to us if we need to hear these words. Perhaps we are those who need to be reminded of your greatness and things that you have done for us. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit be with us tonight, all for your glory. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Psalm 78, verse 42. <clears throat> they did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt and his wonders in the region of Zoan. He turned their rivers into blood, and they could not drink from their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which fed on them and frogs which devastated them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He killed their vines with hail and their sycamore fig trees with a flood. He handed over their livestock to hail and their cattle to lightning bolts. 
He sent his burning anger against them, fury, indignation, and calamity, a band of deadly messengers. He cleared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but delivered their lives to the plague. He struck all the firstborn in Egypt, the first progeny of of the tents of Ham. So here we're going back again to the deliverance of Israel. And and the focus kind of in this section of, uh, of the passage is, okay, how did God go about delivering his people? Well, God showed his power in these miraculous things that he did, these plagues that he poured out on the people of Israel. And Asaph here is recalling this time when God poured the plagues out on Egypt so that his people could be delivered. And so let us continue on in verse 52. Okay, that's what he did to Egypt. What did he do to his people? He led his people out like sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them safely and they were not afraid, but the sea covered their enemies. He brought them to his holy land, to the mountain, his right hand acquired. He drove out nations before them. He appointed their inheritance by lot and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Okay, here's the power of God. What does God do? When God comes to the aid of his people, God is victorious. He plagued the people of Egypt. He led his people out of Egypt. And when the enemies followed him, here we see this reference again to the Red Sea. The sea covered them up and swallowed them up. But not so for God's people. The firstborn of Egypt were killed. But not so for God's people. God passed over them because they were covered with the blood. They passed through from slavery to freedom in the Red Sea. But the enemies were covered with the water. And when God's people were on this journey, they were not afraid. They felt safe because they were indeed in the safety of the Lord. And what did God do? He brought them out of this, this, this time of slavery into a land that he blessed them with. And ultimately, as the story unfolds, uh, each of them are able to settle in God's land. They're able to drive out the enemies that are there because God is with them. And so here we see the power of God against his enemies, but also the power of God for his children. So again, we're just recapping the past of, of Israel so that we can learn something from it. That, that was why Asaph was writing these words. Okay, younger generation, somewhere along the way from time to time, generations come along and they don't know the goodness of God. They don't know the word of God. They don't know the teachings of God and the commands of God and how to live like godly men and women. And so it's up to those who know such things to help those who do not. It's up to those who know such things to remember. Hey, here is what happens when when we abandon God, when God is not with us because we are not with him. And so we don't want to make the mistakes of Israel. So look at the power of God, the deliverance of God, but also as we've gone through the psalm, what does God do to his people when they're disobedient? And so there's this cycle. There's this reminder of God's power, God's punishment, God's compassion, God's deliverance. There's these cycles, all of these things that we too uh, need to be reminded of. So God had appointed their inheritance by lot and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Okay, this this is a good little section. But then what happens? The same thing that always happens with God's people in Scripture, and that's what we see in verse 56. But they rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep His decrees. They treacherously turned away like their fathers, They became warped like a faulty bow. 
They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their carved images. God heard and became furious. He completely rejected Israel. He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh, the tent where he resided among men. He gave up his strength to captivity and his splendor to the hand of a foe. He surrendered his people to the sword because he was enraged with his heritage. Fire consumed his chosen young men, and his young women had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword, but the widows could not lament. Okay, so things should have been pretty good for God's people. He acted powerfully to deliver them from Egypt. He brought them through, gave them the promised land, and what did they do? They worshiped false gods and turned against him. Well, God was not pleased with this, and so uh, it references the tabernacle at Shiloh here. We see references to that, I believe, in Joshua 18. That's where the land was divided. At least some of the land division came there in that part of the scripture. At Shiloh, at the tabernacle, at the, at the, at the tent of meeting. But what does it say here? He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh. God was once with them, but they abandoned God first. Now, God just didn't one day say, you know, I'm done with these people. But they had abandoned him. They had begun to worship these false gods and set up these high places, these altars to worship these false gods. And so what does it say? It says in verse uh, 62, he surrendered his people to the sword. That is, okay, when his protection was over them, when they came out of Egypt, for example, that we just saw, they were not afraid. They were in a safe place. They felt safe in the presence of God. And indeed, they were. But they had left the presence of God. They had abandoned the presence of God. And God said, okay, if you abandon me, this is what it's like out there. And God allowed their enemies to overtake them. And they were certainly in a bad place. It says in verse 61, he gave up his strength to captivity. Some of your translations may say he gave up his ark. Uh, perhaps that's what the reference is to that. Now, it seems as though in the Hebrew that that word probably uh, means strength. That's how it's usually interpreted uh, when we see that word in the Old Testament. But it's very possible that he's speaking of the ark of the covenant here. Uh, you can read in 1 Samuel chapter 5, I believe it is, uh, where the Philistines take the ark of the covenant and boy, do they have some hard times because of it. And it's not long after that that they say, we're sending that thing back where it come from. Uh, and so perhaps that's the reference here. It's hard to know. But that would kind of follow the time frame uh, that we're looking at here because the next section that we're about to look at is David. And it wasn't long after the events of the Ark of the Covenant being returned. I say not long. Saul was king in between that time. But, but we're kind of, kind of bouncing around here from different spots in Israel's uh, past. And so it's possible that, that the strength being gone is the removal of the Ark uh, from God's people. Uh, but the point is this. Times were very hard. The people had turned from God, and hard times had come on them because that's all that there is apart from God is hard times. And so even though God had done all these great things, God's people still didn't follow him. That's the lesson that Asaph wants the reader, that includes you and I, to get from this. Okay, here's the mistake that some people make. They start out good, God is good to them, and they're obedient to God, and then they abandon God, and what happens? Things fall apart. But what does God do? He's compassionate. So we need to call out to him, and we need to seek him so that he can restore us and bring us back to a place of safety. All right, verse 65. 
Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior from the effects of wine. Now, God does not sleep or slumber. We know that from, from the scripture. God certainly was not asleep during this time, but I suppose to the people of Israel, it probably felt as though God was asleep. God was far from them. But then in an instant, as though, as though when someone wakes up, when someone's asleep, there's nothing going on, they're not making any noise, there's no movement, there's no action, there's nothing being accomplished. But in an instant, when someone rises to their feet and wakes up, things begin to happen. And so for Israel, and perhaps sometimes us, it may feel as though God is asleep. But when God comes to the rescue, he comes to the rescue. And in an instant, even though things were bad, in an instant God comes to his people. Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them lasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. He brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people, Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hand. And so here we see uh, this beautiful reference that I believe is pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. We see this reference of Judah. Okay, so so God handed his people over to the enemies for a little while, but now he's awakened. And as he's awakened, he's taking care of his people, but what else is he doing? Well, it says here that he has chosen the tribe of Judah. And then what does that lead to? Well, that springboards us into the time of David. Now, what's significant about David here? He took him from the sheep uh, foals. He took him from the sheep pens. Why? Because David was a shepherd, but he he continued to be a shepherd, as the language would say here, but he went from shepherding sheep to shepherding God's people, and that's what it says, to be the shepherd over his people. God took him from the sheep pen to watch his own people, the people of Israel, and what did he do? He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with a skillful hand. Now, this certainly uh, may cause us to think of Jesus, and I think rightly so. Here is what it all comes down to. God's people sin up and down repeatedly. We sin and we print, and God is gracious to us, and sometimes we suffer for our sin, but God is compassionate to us, and sometimes our sin seems as though it's going to get the better to us, but when we call out to God, he comes to our aid, he delivers us. Sometimes we see the power of God, and we forget the power of God, and we need to be reminded of the power of God and we need to repent of our sin. But what does God ultimately do for his people? His people who continually sin, who continually abandon them. When they were hopeless and in need, what did he do? He sent them a shepherd. In this case, it was David from the tribe of Judah to shepherd God's people and to shepherd them with a pure heart. And so it is for you and I because we are not so different than the people of Israel. We are a rebellious, sinful people that sometimes praise God and at other times are disobedient to God. It sometimes call out to God and at other times forget about God. It sometimes feel the safety of God's presence and at other times wonder if God is asleep. But the problem for Israel is the same problem for you and I. It is our sin. But praise the Lord, the same God of Israel is the same God for you and I. 
a God who is full of grace and compassion, and a God who meets us in our sins and says, I will send the good shepherd. And that, as the gospel according to John tells us, is Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. He is the one with the pure heart. So if we are in an Israel-type situation today, maybe we are at the hands of our enemy as they were in Egypt. Well, it is God who is the deliverer. Maybe we, like the Israelites, are wandering in the wilderness of our sin. But in that case, it is God who is the deliverer. Perhaps our strength is gone because of our sin. But just as it was for the Israelites, God is the deliverer, so he is for you and I. And just as he sent a king for his people to shepherd them, so he did for you and I. David was but a shadow of what was to come. Jesus was the fulfillment of all that. That is where we will find our deliverance, our hope, our strength from today, from Jesus, the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this good passage. There's a lot to think about from Psalms 78, and I pray that you help us to grow in this and learn from this, dear Lord. Maybe there is repentance that needs to take place in our life, and we need to seek you, because maybe we are in a wilderness right now, in a desert place in our spiritual life, God, maybe we're in a good place. Maybe we're in a place of joy or whatever it may be, dear Lord. But whatever it is, let us praise you if we're joyful. Let us repent if we're in sin. Let us seek you if we're in the wilderness, dear Lord. And God, we can only, we can only get through anything by the help of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that Jesus Christ is the shepherd for each one of us today, that we would follow him, that we would hear his voice. And we'd follow his commands. And we thank you for him. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.